And he said to them, so this is Jesus again talking to his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. In classic Mark fashion, a few years ago, if you've been with us at this church here for at least a few years, we preached through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, in classic Mark fashion, his, his great commission example here in his Gospel is just kind of short and to the point. If you've ever read Mark's Gospel, he just it's like a, a four-year-old telling a story. And then, and then, and then, and then, Mark moves from passage to passage to passage, giving us this beautiful picture of Jesus uh, in his ministry. And in the same way, this commissioning passage that is here in Mark chapter 16 is just kind of short and to the point. It's a summary of what we dug into last week in Matthew 28, right? Simply put, it it just encompasses the heart of Christian mission. Go and proclaim everywhere, right? Everywhere. If we're honest, uh, yelling out good news is kind of intrinsic to who we are. Uh, At a proposal, a marriage proposal, a future groom may proclaim after his future bride says, yes, we're going to get married, right? Or maybe upon the news of finding a a pregnancy within a marriage relationship, the couple yells aloud, we're having a baby in excitement. Uh, I know when I was growing up, my dad, uh, periodically when when the state lottery got really big, he would buy a lotto ticket. And I'll, I'll never forget this time. I'm down the hallway. I had no idea what was going on, but my dad was in his bedroom. He had a TV in there, and the lottery drawing was going on. And I can hear him start yelling, I won! I won! Not my dad didn't win the lotto. But he had gotten the first four numbers right. And I came running down the hallway just to figure out what was going on, probably seven, eight years old. Came around the corner. My dad's up on his bed, jumping up and down. Then he missed the last few numbers. So that would have been good news, right? And, and he was telling the whole house this good news. Uh, I, just last month, we had some amazing news right here in our county. Uh, my kids uh, attend Bullet East High School. My wife works at Bullet East High School. And, and Bullet East brought home the 6A state title in football. They brought home the championship to uh, our Bullet County community. And what was neat is, is the whole community, you know, Bullet Central students, I remember seeing them come to uh, Bullet East games while they were going to the playoffs, North Bullet. Everybody was excited because our little county brought home a state championship. And I, I went through the whole season. Uh, we were dedicated to going to the football games. That evening, my kids went out to Lexington to watch the game. I attended uh, a wedding. And uh, the couple or the families in here, unbeknownst to them, I was secretly kind of keeping track of the game throughout the wedding. And fortunately, during the reception time, you could tell all the men in the room who were kind of following along with this news because once uh, Bullet East pulled off a two-point conversion that secured kind of the the championship victory for them, all the, the men in the room who were secretly paying attention to this game said, the Chargers won the state championship, and everybody kind of celebrated, right? It was, it was good news. We, we're, it's intrinsic to us that we would proclaim good news when good news comes to us. And, and what better news do we have than the good news about Jesus? 
And, and that's our main idea for today, is that every Christian is a steward of gospel proclamation. And I use that word steward uh, on purpose this morning. We are, we are manager. It's entrusted to us, this message of the good news about Jesus. Uh, one component of our, of our membership classes, our membership process is to discuss stewardship. Some of you in here may be cringing like, oh, we're doing the money talk this morning. No, because we often, when we hear that word stewardship, we often link stewardship to what? Money, finances, right? But in our stewardship class, we learn our monetary resources are just one aspect of stewardship. They're just one aspect of something that we manage and oversee that God has entrusted to us. And I don't want to assume anything. A working definition, again, of stewardship is being entrusted to manage or supervise a, a resource. The creation, we learned the creation mandate last week back in Genesis one twenty eight uh, from God is to do this, to multiply, and then there's a word that comes after that, and have dominion over all things. Dominion gives us this understanding that we are over something. We are placed in authority over God's creation, okay? Uh, here's a little just kind of aside. We're not just some evolved animal. We didn't get here by happenstance. Uh, and I'll, I'll say this, we are human beings, okay, are of greater importance than all other living things. Okay, and I'm a pet lover, I love my dogs, but human beings are more important than your dogs. And it's, unfortunately, in our culture, it seems that Animal life has been elevated of, of even greater importance than unborn human life. I'm just going to leave that alone. God has entrusted creation to us. He is, I want to make this clear, He is ultimately the owner of it all, but has entrusted this very good creation to humanity. Therefore, then, we are, we are stewards, managers of the world, of the creation. Resources that, that we steward are obviously our assets, our, our material possessions, including money. Our time, we steward our time, we manage our time. The creation, okay? We should care about the world and its resources. We don't worship it. It's not God, but it was created by God to bless us, and so we steward the creation. And most importantly, as Christians, we have a unique aspect of stewardship, we have been entrusted with a great message of hope and salvation, of renewal, redemption, and restoration. It is the message of the gospel, or what we know as the good news about Jesus. When we proclaim or speak the gospel, we are, we are an obedient witness to the sovereignty and power of God to save through His word and work. Again, verse 15, Mark says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation okay not just one part everywhere god's glory exploding out through this message about jesus throughout the whole world throughout the whole creation and so it is that that we focus on this word gospel today what is it and ultimately how do we steward this most important message that our majestic glorious holy father has entrusted to us through his son and the empowering of his spirit okay so we're gonna look at the gospel here today uh, gospel is actually like where did this word come from it's actually a word that christians redeemed in roman culture it's a word that described what would occur in the, the Roman Empire generally related to two instances. 
Okay, heralds or proclaimers, okay, Roman officials would go forth into the empire and they would pronounce gospel or good news when, okay, when this instance happened, when it was the emperor's birthday. So they'd be like, hey, it's the king's birthday, everybody wish him a happy birthday. But most notably, these heralds would go forth proclaiming gospel when the Romans had conquered another people. When they had added more land, more power, more control, heralds would go forth then proclaiming gospel. We have gospel. The Roman empires conquered another people. But Christians incorporated this term into our evangelism because what? We have truly good news. Not that another land has been added to the nation or another people enslaved, but that God's Son has come to earth. And that He saves us from our sins. We have news of real justice, real love, real power, real grace, and real mercy. And it's come in the person and work of Jesus, God's beloved Son. And He has conquered sin and death. And the true Son of God, which ironically that title was also a name for the Roman emperor at the time, The true Son of God, Jesus, extends grace, forgiveness, reconciliation to God, and purpose for your life. That's good news. That is gospel. So so what is this this pinnacle, this peak of all messages and proclamation? And so I want to give you four aspects of the redemptive story of God. The gospel to help you think through this message, and possibly there may be some of you in the room that are skeptical of Christ this morning. Or maybe you're just in complete rejection. You're in unbelief. I don't, I don't buy into this Jesus that you speak of in His gospel. My hope is to help you think through this message and possibly this morning respond to Jesus in faith for the first time. And for those of you who are Christians in the room, to equip you to take the gospel into all the world. That's my job as a pastor. That's our job as, as elders and deacons is that we would Equip the church for the work of the ministry. And this message, these these four points, this gospel that we speak of, it begins with God. And so point number one is this. We see in Scripture creation. Everything begins with God. Okay, the most important part of the message is not me, it's not humans, it's God. And the question may come to mind, why should I care about God? Why should I care about being reconciled to Him? Why should I care about glorifying Him with my life? To which the simple answer is this, because He is our Creator. He created us. Back at the very beginning, Genesis 1-1 and verse 31 in chapter 1 also, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, he says these words, it was what? Very good. You see, the, the creation tells us a few things about God. It tells us of his creative agency and also his desire to bless. How does it tell us that? Because here, here's a truth for you this morning. God didn't and doesn't need anything. He wasn't lacking or wanting something. Instead, in his love, he desired to bless and glorify himself for our good, so God created. God was just fine with his eternal relationship 
of perfect love and community within himself, right? We believe in a Trinitarian God. God is Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit have eternally existed in perfect relationship with one another. But in order to showcase his glory, God created. Think about this for a second. Just think about the the senses of our human body, right? We have a number of, of senses that we have, that we were created with. God created those. And he didn't just create the senses, he created stuff for us to enjoy with those senses. Our eyes. He gave us the beauty of nature to see, right? Flora and fauna. I still get excited when I see wildlife moving about no matter how many times. My, my wife and I were out on, on a walk in our backyard, kind of along the river, and there was, there was a lot of, it was right after that rain, and the river had kind of come up, and it had gone back down, and so there was a lot of animals moving about, and we're, oh, there's an animal over there, there's an animal, and they were just too quick for us to kind of catch, but we could see them. And then we saw this white thing up in the rocks, and we're trying to figure out, like, what is it? And then it was a stray cat, right? But I still got excited. I'm not going to say anything about cats for all the cat lovers in the room. But my eyes still, they, they quicken and dart about with when the brilliant crimson red of a cardinal swoops through my backyard against the brilliant green backdrop of oak and pine. It excites me when, when amazing pink trees bloom in spring emerging from the dead of winter. God, hear this, God as creator, he thought of red and pink and green colors. I gotta say purple for some of the people in the room too. God spoke those into existence. Our nose and the smells that that burst forth when we cook and transform food. Yes. (laughs) The sugary caramelization while we bake sweets or the savory collision of a steak with garlic sizzling and filling the air with an aroma that makes us smile. And what happens? Our mouths begin to water. And the taste receptors, the, the sense of taste, to enjoy the smell of the delicious food as we chew and flavors birth, burst forth on our, our palate. He created, God created plants that bloom and offer a fragrant reward. Another smell that when you're out, this is a guy example here, you're out cutting grass and the, you break that grass down and you get that fresh cut grass smell. The unique salty smell of the ocean when the waves crash upon the shoreline. He created this feeling and nerves in our skin that are sensitive to fabric and texture. And he created these weird things on the side of our head to hear. And he gifted some of us with beautiful voices that blend together. And music is so amazing, and it's, it's only from God that when those voices blend together in harmony perfectly, there's other harmonics that burst forth above. And you want to know what happens? Those of us who are blessed to hear those and sing along, goosebumps go all throughout our body as we sing together. God created all of that in His love for His glory. And as creator, he's over all. His law has been placed intrinsically within us. Where do we find that? Romans 2.15. God decides right from wrong, good from evil, and direction for his creation of our our purpose and reason for being, our existence. It's it's why in 
in its original design, he created and he called it again, what? Very good. The gospel begins with God. But with this good news about God and this very good creation, we have some bad news. We come across bad news in the story. It's our second point. We see a curse. We see a curse in creation. We have to talk about sin this morning. Sin entered the creation by the willful disobedience of our human representative, Adam. Genesis 2, 15-17, God gives a command. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, hear this command, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. You got all this. Adam, from here to here, from there to there, you can eat all that, but I got one tree here. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Isn't that just like us? Because we find out then in Genesis 3 what happens. Adam and Eve partake of the fruit. Isn't that just like us? Like God gives us all this blessing, and he says, I got this one over here. That's mine. You know, keep it off the side. Don't eat from that tree. What do we do? Right? Well, my, my mama told me we had bonbons in the freezer one time. And she, she said, I, you can have bonbons when I tell you you can have them, but you can't have them during the day. It was summertime. She went off to work. What did my brother and I do? Man, we devoured those things. But I was so nice to her, there was one left in the bottom. I walked in there and just took one bite and put it back in the thing. Like, Mom, I left you one. That made her really mad. <laughs> we have here a, a direct command of God, but... In Genesis 3, we're introduced to the fall of humanity. Through, through the deceptive and lying schemes of God's enemy, the serpent, Satan. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. He's counter to God's purposes. I call him the great counterfeit. He should have, Adam should have banished him at his arrival in the garden. But Adam allowed him in standing idle and complacent as the the serpent entered and deceived Eve, his wife. Adam, too, partook of the fruit God had forbidden him to eat. Sin entered God's very good creation, and a division, a relational chasm between God and man was caused by humanity's willful disobedience to God's command. Adam, as our, our representative, brought about sin into humanity and creation. And so every subsequent human being, we're we're born with a heart that is rebellious towards God. It's it's set on our wants, our desires, our needs, and we kind of just naturally worship ourselves. We are, you know, to to put it kind of in just a short summary, we're, we're selfish. Apart from Jesus, our hearts are desperately wicked and deceptive. Therefore, just as Adam represented us in the beginning, we needed a better representative that would come in full obedience to God's command. That representative is this. It's our third point. It is Christ. The beauty of Genesis 3 is, is obviously, like you're like, there's beauty in Genesis 3? I thought that was the curse. There's beauty in Genesis 3. It's not the disobedience of Adam and Eve or the deception of the serpent, but God comes. 
God comes seeking after His people. We see a glimpse of God's grace and mercy in Genesis 3. God comes what? He calls to them. God comes calling. He didn't leave Adam and Eve in despair. He didn't leave them without purpose, but He gave them a powerful promise. It's the first hint, the first kind of veiled pronouncement of this gospel that we're looking at this morning. He says this to the counterfeit, Satan the serpent. He says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Hear this promise. He shall bruise, crush your head and you shall bruise, strike his heel. The promise of a Savior, a Redeemer to come. Right? Adam fell in his representation of humanity a better representative for humanity's sin problem, Jesus Christ has come. Jesus has fulfilled Genesis 3.15. When he, when he was fixed to the cross and the nail driven through his feet, exiting his heel, bruised and bloodied him. But it was this, it was also the crushing death blow to our great enemy, the serpent. Jesus has conquered Satan and crushed his power at the cross of shame. Satan thought he won, but the instrument of our redemption was his ultimate destruction. It's it's the purpose and obedience of Jesus that, that he came not to immediately command everyone to bow to him, but rather to live perfectly for us in obedience to all of God's statutes and commands. And also in God's will for redemption and reconciliation, Mark gives us this purpose in Mark 10, 45. Mark says this, the Bible says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, hear this, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Those many are sitting right here in this room. But how is it that we receive this good news, this gospel? This Christ, our Savior, who has come through communication, proclamation, through words. Simply put, we speak, others hear and respond. Romans 10.17, we read this a little bit earlier. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So that those who hear of Christ and respond in faith have this incredible promise in Romans 8. Y'all know I love Romans 8. Romans 8, 1, 2. I want, okay, just aside from the powerful message of the gospel, if you are hurting in this room, if you feel like you have so messed up that God has turned His back on you, if you have faith in Jesus, this promise is for you too. For everyone who has called upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and we can hold to this, what God's Word says, there is therefore now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's good news. It's not the end. Our present redemption, our salvation in Jesus is but a foretaste of the glory to come. 
Romans 8 goes on to say that the, the creation waits in eager expectation and groaning for the sons of God to be revealed for all creation included to be renewed and restored. It's our fourth point. We see completion. We see restoration. We see renewal. I invite you periodically to to do this when we gather and, and to hear from the Word. We must take our eye at times off the misery which we can face in the present. Hey, some of you... Life's okay right now. Things are going well. You got money, you're paying bills. Life's good. You get to go on vacation. Marriage is all right. Okay, just hang on a second. It'll stink at some point. And when it does, you can remember back, like, I remember when Keith talked about this. And so we got to, some of you are in the, the midst of misery right now, aren't you? We've got to take our eye off the, off the present suffering, and we've got to look and see what God's promises are, what His promises for us in the future, what He has in store. We take our eye off the present suffering. We take our eye off of children in rebellion and unbelief, sickness and disease that's entered our bodies, cancer, financial situations that seem to never correct themselves, marriages that possibly require more toilsome labor than joy, bodies that ache and hurt, storms that tear apart our homes, wars that rip apart families, or a desperate longing for a loved one who has entered eternal rest. All of those things are things that we face right now in this present time. We have to take our eye at times off the present chaos and look to the glorious promised completion of God's redemptive plan. Okay, this isn't all there is. Thank God. But the, the arc, the, the trajectory of Scripture is total restoration and renewal of creation. And to me, that story, reading Revelation 21, 1-5, man, that fires me up more than any stinking TED Talk you can give me from the pulpit. Tell me about what God's going to do. He's going to make all things new. We see in Revelation 21, this collision, this coming together of heaven and earth, becoming one under the reign of Jesus Christ. John, in this revelation that he receives from the Lord, he tells us this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Okay, I always say this when I read this. The sea in Scripture oftentimes is where the bad things came out of. Okay, those are gone. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, this is beautiful, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Okay, that's enough right there. We could wrap it up. Let's go home. But there's more. The Bible promises... He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Who's cried this last week? Death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. They're gone. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, this is awesome. Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And this occurs through the proclamation of the gospel message. Creation, curse, Christ, completion. Jesus said this, I believe in Matthew 24, he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And he says this, and then the end will come. May we, church, be faithful to this charge of the Lord, taking forth the gospel to the nations. Okay, but, but I, you have, my job, I said earlier, is to equip. Is to equip you. So I could say, hey, you're going to go out there and everybody's going to love this message and they're going to receive it. But I'd be lying to you if I said that. Because the world hates this message. The Bible... The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit in 2 Corinthians, I believe chapter 2, calls the knowledge of Jesus an aroma to those who are saved and those who are perishing. To one, it's an aroma or fragrance of death, right? I don't like that. To the other, a fragrance of life. Because of this, there will be great shame and persecution placed on those who have responded and obey the Lord in proclaiming eternal life through Christ alone. This is our application for this morning. We unashamedly speak the message of the gospel. We unashamedly speak the message of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 1, 15-17. He says, So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he's writing this letter to a church that he wants to go and minister to. Then he says this beautiful statement. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who, what? Believes, trusts, place their faith in Jesus, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, everybody else. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. How do we receive it? For faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Remember this. Okay, the power is not us. When the Apostle Paul preached, he shows us this. There's actually a story, this is funny, in Scripture. When Paul preached, he was probably too wordy and too long-winded. So much so, in the book of Acts, it documents a, a young man that got so bored listening and sleepy that he falls asleep during Paul's preaching, falls out of the third-story window, and dies. Some of you are like, yeah, I can relate right now, Keith. Wrap it up. You were talking about steak earlier, and I'm hungry. Just if you're worried about the young guy that died, Paul, through the power of the Spirit, raised this guy back to life. But through this this wordy and long-winded apostle, right? You read some of Paul's writings sometimes, and you're like, I don't 
Even Peter says, hey, he's, he's a little hard to understand, guys. Through this wordy and long-winded apostle, Paul, many were saved. I would say, obviously, through the power of God's Spirit moving, but also the obedience of Paul, it's the reason why we're here. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Likely the greatest missionary that's ever lived. Why do I tell you this? This long-winded apostle probably wasn't very good-looking because he was never married, more than likely. He just kept saying, I'm not ashamed, and he kept carrying out the work. Why do I tell you this? Stop worrying about every little detail. Rather, with love under the covering of much prayer, through the power of God's Spirit, speak clearly this, the the message of forgiveness of sins through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Eternal life found through God's beloved Son and reconciliation with God the Father through the precious blood of Jesus. It's, it's interesting because there's another instance where, where Paul talks about shame. So it shows me that possibly he, he wrestled with this. Paul was, in his life, he was a learned man. Okay, he, he knew the Scriptures. He was a devout Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. I mean, he knew a lot of, of poets and philosophy. The guy was smart. And so there's a strong possibility that when he was engaging with other smart people that maybe he felt a little bit of embarrassment about this message that he's sharing because he keeps talking about not being ashamed. Perhaps he's preaching to himself a little bit. He gives this charge to his his apprentice Timothy that the gospel message be fanned into flame, this gift that we have in our our frail, scared, fearful human bodies, uh, we're called jars of clay, would be broken for the cause of God, that the flame would burn brighter and brighter, shame would dissipate, and boldness would emerge, church. 2 Timothy 1, 6-8. I hope this passage fires you up. The Bible says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what? Of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit you have in you. What's the result? Therefore, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Say this with me. I'm not ashamed. Paul even adds this. He says, you may be ashamed of me too because I'm in prison. I'm in chains for this message of the gospel. He says, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering uh, for the gospel by the power of God. Church, let us live this out. That we would not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. But that we would go forth in every human relationship that we have, every encounter that we have, looking for the opportunity to glorify God through sharing about His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I say this as kind of a concluding thought this morning. I want you to hear this very clear, because I confess that I have a fear of man at times. I struggle 
myself in sharing my faith. I miss opportunities because of my weakness. And so this message applies to me too. You may oh, you're the pastor of a church, you do this all the time. It's a lot easier to preach the gospel to a bunch of people sitting in the room than it is to have a one-on-one conversation. I say to you this morning, and I hope you echo this with me, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Amen?